this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports, and it is now Wednesday, uh, September 30th. This is the Ion College Basketball Podcast, and I'm joined, as usual, by my colleagues Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. It's been an uh, interesting week in the world of college basketball, thanks to the NCAA announcing its findings in the SMU investigation and levying a punishment of a postseason ban for this season against the Mustangs and uh, suspension of Hall of Fame coach Larry Brown for nine games in this upcoming season. For those unfamiliar, and I don't know how you could be if you're actually listening to a college basketball podcast, seems to imply you would have already read the story, but just in case, here's the detail. Um, The problem for SMU is that an assistant coach and another person connected to the basketball program uh, guided a McDonald's All-American named Keith Frazier to an online class, then did the work for him so that he'd pass it and be eligible. That's a no-no if I've ever heard of one. And uh, regardless, though, SMU's president thinks the NCAA was unfair. So I'll start with you, Norlander. Was the NCAA unfair in its punishment of SMU for the findings that it actually had? If I'm going to use a one-word answer, I will say yes, but I'm going to do a lot of qualifying here. It's only unfair in the sense that the timing of this, which is not really truly of the NCAA's concern, I, I will also concede that. I mean, the timing of it is the timing of it. it. You know, if you break the rules, the punishments come when they come, and you got to take your lumps and accept it. But there are the obvious issue that a lot of people have with this. In fact, I think the only issue that people have with this, I will note that I haven't seen really any criticism of the NCAA with this verdict, except from, <laughs> except from, and GP tweeted about this, and I got, I mean, I got maybe 20 mentions. I, I couldn't believe people were, were angry at what has not yet happened with the UNC case with the NCAA. It's that's so stupid. Only, it's like, like It makes craziest. no sense. I, 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 like, I, I kept getting one after another after another, and I finally like, well, maybe I should address this. Maybe people just don't realize it. And then after I addressed it, people were still being stupid about it. Like, the, I, Let me be clear. The NCAA might go easy on North Carolina. They might. But we don't know that yet. Let's wait and see what the NCAA does. This is what I tweeted yesterday. Screaming about how the NCAA's hasn't done anything to North Carolina today is akin to screaming um, that the NCAA hasn't done anything to SMU last week. When it got time to punish, they punished. Maybe right. excessively, maybe not, maybe fairly, but they punished, and then we could all chime in. Let's wait to see what the NCAA does to North Carolina before we start uh, bashing the NCAA for not doing enough to mm-hmm. North Carolina. It is, it is interesting how people are just so ready and so eager to kill the NCAA for not hitting North Carolina. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's just, I found it to be bizarre. Anyway, but aside from that, the only thing people have an issue with... Well, let me, let me stop you there for okay. real quick. Uh, the problem that the NCAA, the, the NCAA sort of created this because yes. they took well, and so... Carolina, Carolina also stalled a lot of this as well. Right. So it was, kind of, it was kind of both the parties that, that have led to this issue. Right. So like North, uh, the NCAA, seemingly for a while had little interest in getting into this North Carolina academic scandal. Um, they tried to, at the beginning, say, listen, we don't get involved in academics. We're not getting, in, you know, universities should handle their coursework and their classes. That's not the NCAA's job. That's not what we do. And ultimately, it just, there, more evidence came out and more evidence came out. Thanks largely to the reporting at the News and Observer uh, newspaper in North Carolina, uh, the, the, the more stuff kept coming out to where the NCAA finally like had to dive in with both feet. So uh, they mishandled this at the beginning, which has led to a lot of the 
uh, you know, uh, belief that the NCAA is not going to hammer North Carolina or do much to North Carolina. But um, it's clear now, and I, I can't, I cannot state this um, clearly enough for the people who don't quite grasp it. There has been a notice of allegation sent. That means that North Carolina is going to go before the Committee on Infractions. That means that North Carolina will be punished in some form, probably in the year 2016. What will the punishment be? I have no idea. Neither does anybody else. But um, let's just wait and see what it is before we start pretending that it wasn't enough. Yes. Uh, Just two quick things on the Carolina thing, and then we'll focus on Larry Brown and SMU because there's a lot to get to. One, I think people inherently are just so eager and wanting to criticize the NCAA because Carolina is going to inevitably get hit here after the season in which they're you know, most likely to win a national championship or compete for one. That stuff's going to come down after Carolina's going to do what it's going to do this year. I think that's why people have an issue with it. And also... Um, Man, I forgot the other. I forgot my tra- my track of thought with the other thing. It was something with uh, investigation. Whatever. We'll move on. Here's the thing with with SMU. The timing of it screws over the seniors possibly from playing in the NCAA tournament because now we're into the school year. Sure. And the belief is among some people that you know if Marcus Kenny and Nick Moore most notably because they're the two you know stars of the team, they would have to transfer to a school that's on a quarter system where they could go and enroll. That's usually you know, Pac-12 schools, Oregon, UCLA is on a quarter system as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, to me, that's not even an option at this point because those teams have scholarships that have been filled, I think, for the most part. Oregon um, so still has two available. Oregon still has two. Okay, so there we go. Yeah. So that could be a possibility. I don't even know if that's even logically could happen because they'd have to withdraw from their own classes. Yeah, and yeah the kids have – there's, so, there's, yeah, is it possible in theory? Yes. Have the kids indicated – at all that they're interested in pursuing that, uh, not yet. So it's all speculation. So that is speculation. But the criticism toward that, I would say, is valid. But again, it's not the NCAA's responsibility. I mean, it would be nice if they had come to this conclusion a month ago and would have given these players. That would definitely. But then again, you know, uh, if it happened, you know, it, on December 17th, and SMU was off to an 8-1 and one start, you know, does that sting even more so because, you know, they're really headed and charging towards something, and whereas this is coming down before the season even starts. Overall, GP, um, the, the, what has happened here, for the most part, I am I am okay with. And I know we still got plenty of stuff to get through with Brown and the details of it, but that is my long-winded way of answering your question. Sam, let me ask you this. So the SMU president um, spoke yesterday, last night mm-hmm. actually, to USA Today. And he was essentially defending not terminating Larry Brown, which is fine. I know that some people have called for Larry to be terminated. Uh, and and like if they if they did that, I, I wouldn't protest, whatever. Um, it's, re- it's a reasonable course of action. But... I mean, the truth is he wasn't directly tied to this stuff. I mean, we there, there are coaches working in college basketball right now who have been more directly tied to allegations of major rules violations than Larry Brown was here. Uh, again, you want to fire him? I'm not going to say that's a dumb idea or the worst idea or a bad idea or wrong, uh, but I don't necessarily think this triggers absolute have to, to terminate him. But I, I assume because... Uh, most notably, I guess, and surprisingly, Dick Vitale said that Larry Brown should be banned from college basketball. Um, I, I suppose the president at SMU felt uh, compelled to to explain why he didn't even really seriously consider that. And I thought on some level he explained it well. The most interesting point he made, and I thought this was really good, 
Um, he thinks that the penalties are excessive, and that's that's subjective and debatable and whatever. But he said, okay, let's look at what really happened with us. We had an assistant coach and somebody else in the basketball office do something that was undeniably wrong. We're, nobody's pretending that's wrong. But this is one thing regarding one student athlete that happened before he got on our campus. It doesn't involve any other player. It doesn't involve any other coach. And there is no other violation here. So we have essentially been given a postseason ban and our head coach suspended for nine games because of one thing. And he even acknowledged that that one thing, according to the way the rules are written now, is enough to get Larry Brown a 30% of the schedule suspension. So he doesn't even fight that too much or at all. But he says, if we're going to get a postseason ban for one level one violation, what happens when a school has three? What happens when a school has six? What happens when a school has nine? He didn't say this, but what happens at North Carolina? And I think that's a hell of a point that the NCAA is going to have to, um, to, to make sense of or else risk really getting targeted. If you're going to hit SMU like this for one thing, I'm fine with it. But what happens when a school has four things, five things? Then what are you going to do? Is it a three-year postseason ban? Is it 15 scholarships? Sam, what do you make of that? The point the president made of if you're going to hit us like this for one violation, fine. But let's just let's just make sure when somebody's got three or seven or fourteen um, that that the scale makes sense. You know, I get it. Uh, I'll say that. Like, I understand where he's coming from there. I think I think it's just kind of a defense to uh, kind of prop up his own case because yesterday in their press conference. Uh, the AD, uh, Rick Hart and the president, uh, Gerald Turner, uh, they kind of seem like they're gearing up for an appeal of the postseason ban, uh, pretty much at every turn in that press conference, they were talking about how, uh, they felt it was unfair to the players. They felt that, uh, it, it was unfair that the decision did come when it did because it came late. Uh, it came, I want to say two to three weeks later than, uh, the NCAA told them that it would come. Um, and it just seemed like that was the part of it that they were, they were generally most angry with. So I do think that part of this is them gearing up for an appeal. Um, but having said that, I, I understand where he's coming from in this scenario. It's, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do to North Carolina, because based on the precedent that they have set with the Syracuse decision, which I believe was on, was that on the older, uh, the older punishment scale or is that yes. on the new one? Yeah. No. Older, older. Okay, so based on the precedent they've set with SMU, and if there been any other punishments yet, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I don't think not, big ones. Not Nothing in men's notable. college basketball, no. Yeah, I mean, based on this precedent that they're setting right here, I think that he's right. They are going to have to come down reasonably hard on North Carolina, which is why I was shocked whenever you guys were talking about how uh, you guys had a million North Carolina fans in your mentions yesterday. Uh, well, well, what, what North Carolina fans have done? And, it's and, not North Carolina fans. It's anti-North Carolina fans. Oh, sure. But then, but then oh, well, like you have to understand, we're operating on the extremes here. The anti-North yeah. Carolina people are saying, um, the NCAA hasn't done anything to North Carolina. They punished the non-Power Five. They won't go after a blue blood, blah, 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 blah. And in fairness, there is a long history that's, that has created that theory uh, uh, with NCAA 
policy and, and what they uh, go after and how they punish, so on and so forth. So I get what it's rooted in. My point was simple. We don't know what, North, what, what the NCAA is going to do to North Carolina yet. If, if we get there and they hold an announcement, just like they held an announcement yesterday, and it says that North Carolina's not losing scholarships, North Carolina's not vacating anything, North Carolina's not getting a postseason ban, then let's all scream together. I'll be right there with you, calling yeah. it bullshit. All right? But um, we ain't there yet, so let's wait. So that's the anti-North Carolina people. Then there's the pro-North Carolina people who are, want to explain to you how no basketball coach has been tied to any of the academic improprieties. This is not a basketball program issue. It is a... Um, it's a university issue, and if you think the men's basketball program deserves to be punished or is going to be punished, you're insane. And so that, so it's like coming from extremes on both ends, and uh, and and I guess my mentions just sort of get caught in the middle. Yeah, that's by the way, mm-hmm. that's you just jogged my memory, GP. That was what I was, the other part I was moving up with North Carolina is the reason why the NCAA had its knees in the mud so long was because of the fact that it basically was not sure what to do going forward with the fact that so many non-athletes were taking these classes as well. And, you know, it didn't want to set a precedent of punishing a program when this system was set up to benefit players and non-players alike. Eventually, you know, more information came out as to how Carolina athletes clearly uh, were steered toward these classes and benefited, and they were phony classes. So that was what I had a brain fart on earlier. Uh, real quick, circling back to SMU, though, uh, you, GP had mentioned that the president – I have not read the USA piece, so GP, I don't know if you're just yeah, uh, neither loosely, loosely paraphrasing here. But there were multiple level one violations. It wasn't just one of them. Now, one of them was somewhat innocuous in that it was a former compliance director – uh, falsifying sign-in sheets for academic stuff, and the irony there is that they actually even the players and with the um, with the sign-in sheets, the the sessions did happen, but they weren't turned in on time, and they were they were. But that's a, that's a level one violation. And with Larry Brown, he initially now this is where it gets a little foggy because I don't have all the details here. But the NCAA says Larry Brown, first of all, had this information that Keith Frazier and the former administrative assistant. Uh, was I, I can't even say cahoots because it's not even totally clear. Frazier was playing dumb, and, and the former administrative assistant just did the work and was just like it was out of sight, out of mind for Frazier. Regardless, Larry Brown eventually had that information for a, a month, if not a little bit longer, and did nothing with it. So that ticked the NCAA off. Then the NCAA said that he initially lied to them. Now, what I don't know is at Brown's press conference, he said they threw me off guard with a question. I gave them an answer. I left the room for a little more than 60 seconds, returned to the room and answered their question. So I don't know if those two things are one and the same or if there was an incident where basically in the NCAA's eyes, they talked to Brown. He lied to them. And at a a separate date, he came back and gave them a different answer. But the fact of the matter is in GP, we learned this first and foremost, not even first, but foremost with the Pearl case, Bruce Pearl, is you cannot lie under any circumstances or you're going to just get absolutely killed. Now, I think Frazier was convincing enough in this case to where, and maybe this is based in some truth. Again, we do not have the full answers here, but Frazier sat last year. He's eligible to play. He is going to play with SMU this year, and it's why yep. SMU, we think, is a top 20 team going into the season. But there is certainly, I could I could definitely see a situation, and I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm not alleging this is what happened, but it can definitely happen where 
Frazier needs to get eligible. He's got to take some online coursework. There's an administrative assistant hired, by the way, by Larry Brown. The former assistant is also involved in this and, by the way, kind of got off uh, easier in that report than I expected him to. Yeah, but if, but if those if those parties basically quietly arrange for Fraser's coursework to get done and he doesn't really know much about it, it's kind of a sneaky way of getting it done. Wouldn't shock me if it happened that way. And if the NCAA does believe it happened that way, that's why he's not facing any further punishment because he already sat last year and he's qualified eligible to play the year ahead. Well, didn't SMU um, acknowledge yesterday that that in their opinion the NCAA basically granted Keith Frazier immunity? Like if you yes. t- if you talk to us, then you'll be cool. And so, um, right? Because he because he also outed the former administrative assistant who, right. according to the NCAA, told Frazier to lie, and Frazier did lie the first time, and then the second time the NCAA got Frazier to tell the truth. If the administrative assistant lied again on a second interview, the NCAA, what it, which what it did to Pearl, by the way, remember, sure. Pearl lied, and they were like, oh, this didn't happen. Here's the photo. Okay, so they busted him. Right. And in this case, they busted the, the administrative assistant. She was with her lawyer. They left. They came back into the room, and they said – they gave like two one-word answers that basically was like, you know, we're not going to commu- you know, participate in this investigation any longer. And they kind of got caught, and from there, it was bing, bang, boom. You know, they knew they right. got her, and they got what they did, and that's partly why Frazier got immunity. Listen, I'm not going to tell you exactly how this situation went down because um, there are different versions uh, depending on who you talk to. I'll tell you how this situation um, hypothetically would have most likely gone down. SMU's recruiting a McDonald's All-American. He's not going to be eligible. The assistant coach in charge of the recruitment uh, understands that if he gets an online course, he can get it done. Uh, you know, pays off a sec- you know, an administrative assistant to get it all done, get the work done, and um, everything's supposed to be cool. But then they get caught. And I want to get into how you get caught doing something like this and why stoop- and how stupid it is in just a second. But then you get caught, and so now everybody's trying to cover their tracks. Um, eventually the administrative assistant shuts down the investigation on her part. Like, like you just said, she said, we ain't talking to anymore about anything. And that's usually, um, an indication that somebody, um, was, was taken care of to fall on the sword. And then, uh, the other people involved escape with as little injury as possible, so to speak. That's usually the way this stuff goes down. So, you know, the idea that an administrative assistant would be doing, coursework for a mcdonald's all-american who she like first off how she even know the kid right like i mean he's not on campus yet how she even know him all right so uh, the idea that an administrative assistant would be doing all of this basically on her own is insane yeah there's one yeah one caveat here gp is that this the report states they entered into a relationship and i'm not saying that would be the catalyst for it but there 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 is that also that extra layer to it at least that's what the ncaa's report you know, I, I got it, but there's got to be an introduction. At oh yeah, some no, point. there's got to be an introduction. Who, who makes the introduction? Once you, once you get to that point, right? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. But who mm-hmm. makes the introduction, right? So, like, listen, it is it it is exactly as it seems, even if it's not written that way in the NCAA uh, uh, report. Here's the thing that I find I don't want to say most interesting, but 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 interesting is that this is. There's only a handful of things that I believe the NCAA actually takes really seriously. And one is academic fraud, and the other one's just like, you know, buying prospects, right? So this is academic fraud in its very basic form. The problem with a coach on a staff 
messing with a kid's transcript to get him eligible is this. And, and this is why it is, it, is, it is the dumbest thing you can do. You can go out and buy players pretty easily. Just, you know, go to the bank, get a few hunt, you know, or, or probably you don't want to go to the bank because that starts a paper trail. But, you know, get $10,000 cash from a booster. Go, go, go throw it around wherever you need to throw it around. Like that, you can get away with that because ultimately, unless something really goes wrong somewhere, it's probably going to be, if it ever comes to a head, your word against somebody else's word. So if you need to throw around cash, you can buy players pretty easily still in the year 2015 if you're not sloppy with it and if you deal in cash or deal in shoe companies, I guess, <laughs> or agents or runners. <laughs> but, but academic stuff, specifically altering a, a prospect's transcript is crazy, and here's why. First off, your SMU. You probably, historically speaking, shouldn't be signing McDonald's All-Americans anyway, all right? So that throws up a red flag no matter what. Now, you can scream, we outworked people, and they're just jealous, and this, this, this is, you know, they want to play for a Hall of Fame coach, and they want to play for Allen Iverson's coach, but it, it, everybody you beat to get Keith Frazier is looking at you like, all right, come on, man, what, what did you do, all right? So, you know, they can think you bought him, they can think, an agent funneled him to you. Whatever they want to think, they can think. But there's no proof of that stuff. But then he gets eligible uh, for a, you know uh, for his freshman season. And every school that was seriously recruiting him, you know what they have in their possession? His transcript. Right. And they look at that transcript and they go, how in the world did this kid get eligible? We have this transcript. There is no way he could have went from here to there. Something happened. And then you pick, I'm not saying this is how it went down. I'm just saying this is why you don't mess with transcripts. Because then they, uh, they pick up the phone to the NCAA and they say, hey, listen, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's all on the up and up. But I've got Keith Frazier's transcript and I'm going to send it to you. And I want you to have your um, eligibility center people look at it and tell me if there's any way if that transcript looked like that on that date. If there's any reasonable way, he could have gotten eligible because I can't see it. So the NCAA starts looking at that. And then they get his actual transcript, the one that was submitted to SMU. That's easy to get. So then you go to SMU and you get that transcript. You got this other transcript from a rival school who was also recruiting him, and you compare them. And you find the one difference in the things, right? Here's this online course. And boom, there you go. It is essentially what happened to Eric Bledsoe once upon a time. Now, they just got away with it. And I'll still to this day never understand why. But when you start messing around with transcripts, you have to remember that rival schools have those transcripts. And so when a guy gets miraculously eligible for his freshman season, they could always look at that and go, hey, NCAA, I don't know. But here's an old transcript. Go get his new transcript and you guys figure it out. That is like, uh, you know, I get being young and aggressive and, and, you know, trying to get things done for your Hall of Fame coach. But when you start dealing with transcripts, man, you are opening yourself up to something because it's a paper trail and other people have the old transcript. Uh, it's to me kind of to me kind of shocking. I think it's the one element of cheating where I don't feel like it's like people now understand if, if you're in that business. Uh, no paper trail. Always use cash, all that stuff. If, you're, if you got to cheat, you know, I think that's now it took it took too long. And maybe the. <laughs> Maybe uh, 
maybe transgressions in the past decade or so finally got got it turned. But with transcript stuff, I still don't feel like that's common universal knowledge within the within the college community. I could be wrong, but you've without a doubt hit it right on the head here. And I don't know if that's how it happened either. Right. But I think it's I think it's very very plausible. Now, what do you guys think about? Uh, GP, you mentioned people calling for Larry Brown's job. To me, all right, here, here's the basic stuff, and I'll let Sam jump on this too. But quite basically, I do believe Larry Brown was not aware of this. Now, it's totally possible. I'm not going to play stupid here that, you know, Larry Brown gets the job, and coaches these days, they want to believe, you know, if I, the less I know, the better. The fact of the matter is the NCAA doesn't care about that. Larry Brown is 71 years old when he gets that job. He got, they, SMU gave him the money to go hire a bunch of young, aggressive assistants. Right. And, and I, he and, did. And he did. And then he just got out of the way. That's what happened. Right. I, I yeah. totally think that. Exactly. Absolutely. Now, to me, yeah, Larry Brown having information and not going with it, that's, that's bad stuff. To me, you have it for more than a month. You do nothing with it. The NCAA has every right to kind of go after him in this regard. And I have no problem with Larry Brown having to sit and having the same punishment as Beheim. Personally, I have no problem with that because, it, one, his history, two, the school's history, all of that. But calls for Larry Brown's job, listen, I don't have an issue if they were to do it. I knew there was no shot that was happening. The SMU has never been more relevant for good or for bad ever, ever, not even close, not remotely close since Larry Brown got hired. So what he has done for the school, even though right now it's a rough patch, okay, it's ultimately, I you have to say, it's probably been worth it for that school to hire Larry Brown. The calls for his job seem a smidge over the top. When you really look at the case, you really look at what happened, there's not... You could do it. I'm not saying and I would even have an issue with you doing it. He is a 75-year-old man who, like, I'm, I'm shocked he even has this job. But overall, within the context of the case, firing him, while it could be justified, to me is not the automatic move here. Yeah, no. I uh, Honestly, so I wrote the column I wrote. I want to talk about that with you guys in just a minute. But um, mm-hmm. then I start reading everybody else's columns. It's like, fire Larry Brown! Fire Larry Brown! I'm like, gee, should I have fired Larry Brown too? <laughs> like, like, maybe I'm I should... glad you didn't write the fire Larry Brown. Well, I just, yeah, it, it didn't, so. like, you know, I, you know, I, I don't, th- I don't necessarily believe Jim Beheim should have been fired either, but like, if you're going to, like, like what happened at Syracuse under Jim Beheim's watch is way, way more excessive than what happened at SMU yeah. un, under Larry Brown's watch. And so like, if we're going to fire a Hall of Famer, you probably get Beheim before you get Larry Brown. But you want to get him both. Like, I don't care. Whatever. Fire. But when I looked at it. Of, if if we're going to fire anyone, can we fire the person who made the defense? Well, Larry Brown's old. Like, <laughs> that that, that's basically SMU's defense. Uh, <laughs> that was in the report. They were like, he hasn't coached for 25 years. He might not know all the rules. And NCAA was like, ah, that ain't flying. Right. Yeah, like, well, like, thinking? No, like, here's the thing. I think that's true. I, oh, I, I think like, it's like, true. Like Larry, Bra- like true, Larry Brown still. is old, and I think he doesn't care a bit about Keith Frazier's transcript. I think Larry Brown's entire uh, operation since taking the SMU job it has been, um, okay, hire me, pay me, give me the money to go hot. Who are the best young assistants with, with Texas connections? Okay, I'm hiring them. Now, go get me players, and whenever you get them uh, in the gym, I'll coach them like I'm a Hall of Famer. That's that is that's what Larry Brown has done. You ever sit with Larry Brown? Like I, I've sat with Larry, uh, you know, in July. He, he, yes. he doesn't care. Like he really does it's not. It's the most surreal thing to sit next to Larry Brown at an AAU event. Yeah, it's, and he he, he, he hates it. He does. So I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to tell you Larry Brown is clean. I'm just trying to tell you, 
in my opinion, this was very much an assistant coach thing more than a Larry yeah. Brown thing. Now, again, with the way the rules are written, that's no longer an excuse. And I think it's great that the rules are written that way now because that was the go-to literally for decades for head coaches. I didn't know. I can remember, um, and this is just sort of a side note to it, when I was the beat writer at the uh, for the University of Memphis at the Commercial Pill newspaper covering John Calipari's teams, they had a year where they had like four or five guys at Laurenburg prep, all right? Chris, uh, no, it wasn't Chris. It was Antonio Anderson, uh, Sean Williams, Kareem Cooper, Joey Dorsey was there for a little while. Some other kid that ended up, I don't even know. Like, they had like four or five kids all at Laurenburg. And I'll never forget this. And I'm not saying what it means and what it doesn't mean. I'm just telling you the truth. I could ask John Calipari about anything. And he would talk for 12 minutes like John Calipari does. Anything. If I ever asked him about anything connected to Laurenburg Prep, he'd say, I don't know. You got to talk to DK about that. Talk, talk to Derek <laughs> Kellogg about that. Any, I, could talk, I could say, John Calipari, what do you think about the upcoming presidential election? He'd talk for 20 minutes. John, what do you prefer, Wendy's or McDonald's? He'd talk for 27 minutes. If I asked him about Laurenburg Prep, you got to talk to DK about that. I don't really know anything <laughs> about that. And, and again, this is just my interpretation. Perhaps I read it all wrong, but having spent as much time around the man, I'm pretty sure I read it right. My interpretation of that was always this. Just in case it ever hits the fan with this questionable prep school that is is hosting future University of Memphis players, just in case it ever hits the fan, John's going to be on record every single time saying, ask my beat writer. Every time he asked me about Lauren Prep, I told him I didn't know anything about that. You had to talk to Derek Kellogg about that. And so if it ever hit the fan, he'd be able to, to claim, I didn't know. And that's been the get off for head coaches forever. Jim Calhoun did it at Connecticut. Everybody did it. So that the rules are now changed where basically the NCAA has said, we don't care if you were directly involved. We don't care if you knew. If your assistants or people in your program are running around acting wild, you'll be held accountable. So you better make sure they know they can't act that way anymore because it's going to come down on you. I, I love the rule change. I mean, I think, I think it's definitely the right way to have a rule like that. If you're going to have a rule like that, like it, it definitely uh, used to insulate head coaches in a way, like you said, that sure. was, uh, it just came in with a built-in excuse and that's definitely not right for the way that NCAA recruiting works. So, no. uh, yeah, I think that this is the right move. Uh, I think that coach Brown probably does need to be more hands-on than we think he is at least, uh, in these matters. Uh, and I think the NCAA agrees with that after yesterday's ruling. Having said that, uh, don't fire him. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, to, to your point about being more accountable, um, again, coaches just have to understand now. If your assist used to be, you could be the head coach at UConn, your assistants could be working with an agent to get a player on campus. You get caught by uh, Dan Wetzel and Adrian Wojnarowski. You, um, NCAA investigation is launched. You sacrifice a couple of assistants, they fall on the sword for you, and you march on. That's the way it would go. Nowadays, if that same UConn thing happened today, Jim Calhoun would be suspended for 30% of his games. He just would. Without a doubt. Right. Without a doubt. He'd be charged lack of coach control, failure to promote an atmosphere of compliance, and he'd be suspended just like Beheim and just like Larry Brown. Um, to that point, I was at Virginia Tech last summer, and and it was before Buzz Williams' first season. And he might have just been trying to put on a show for me. I, I don't believe that, but I acknowledge that it's a possibility. 
but he was in a staff meeting. I was sitting in a staff meeting, and he told every one of his assistants. He basically had a copy of his contract. He said, this school is going to owe me, I don't know what the number is, $10 million, $12 million, $15 million, as long as they don't fire me for cause. They can fire me for losing, but they got to pay me all this money. They cannot fire me for cause unless I cheat or you guys cheat. So don't cost me $15 million. Like if, if, I, if, if I hear about you putting me in a position to cost me $15 million, I will fire you. Now, again, yeah. I don't know if it was like that quite that sincere, but he, he did say it. And I thought it was interesting because he, you know, Buzz is a smart guy. He was very aware that he can now be held accountable for assistance. And he told them, don't cost me $15 million because of your dumbass. And so I, I just thought that was an interesting uh, moment. Let me All ask right, GP, you. Yeah, well, let me, let me set you up, GP, because mm-hmm. I think I know where we're going here. So you write the column about the Hall of Famers and the ones that have run into NCAA infractions. You ask, what does it say? So I'll put it forth to you guys, okay? What does it say about college basketball that six active coaches who are in the Hall of Fame, most of them have had major rules violations and run-ins with the NCAA, and a couple of them, multiple? Does it say that cheating pays, or yes. does it, or does it say that, given the infrastructure of the sport itself and the relationship the NCAA has with the sport, that these things are inevitable? Because I think those are two different things. I think I yes. would say that I say yes and it, yes. Go ahead, Sam. I would say that cheating used to pay. Uh, I think it's going to be getting harder and harder uh, for coaches to cheat uh, with their assistants. It's still going to happen, obviously. I mean. Let's not be naive here. It's going to happen. Uh, coaches will get smarter about it. They will uh, find ways to reduce the money trail. They will find ways to reduce any sort of paper trail that they will have. Uh, it will continue to happen. And generally, I agree that in the past, cheating has paid uh, and cheating will continue to pay as long as there is no paper trail. But I think it's getting harder with the way the NCAA is going. It really is. Uh, I mean, this, uh, the, the fact that coaches now have to be held accountable for everything within their program, it's tough. I I, I agree. It's tougher way. It's gotten harder to cheat. You know, what's even harder than that though. Trying to to catch cheaters. No. Well that, but also trying to win at the highest levels without at the very least walking right up to the line. I'm not, I, I never want to paint with a broad brush. I've been asked this a lot over the past 24 hours. You know, do you have, because like the column is the column. Like you can say whatever you want about whatever you want. But there's six active Hall of Fame coaches and four of them have had major NCAA issues. Two of them will be suspended for nine games this year and a third's awaiting punishment. And let's be real here. One of them could very easily, and many would argue should very easily have been busted before, and that's Mishishevsky with the Corey McGetty stuff. Like, listen, he's the best and of all time. And the Lance Thomas stuff. Well, yeah. Listen, yes. he's the best of all time. That said, the idea that Duke wasn't punished for Corey McGetty while UMass was punished for Marcus Camby, and the idea that Duke wasn't punished for Lance Thomas when it became clear because of a, 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 a lawsuit that he was given – like a $90,000 line of credit at a jewelry store in Manhattan while he was a student athlete at Duke? Like, that is textbook extra benefit. There's no getting yeah. around it. Unless you're going to tell me another 21-year-old could walk into a jewelry store in Manhattan and get an $80,000 line of credit. Like, what are we talking about? So um, people will consistently point out, and don't forget about Coach K, Corey McKetty, and, uh, and Lance Thomas. And I haven't forget. Go do the Google searches. I've written about those things ad nauseum. But... For the purposes of the column, I was only going to focus on facts and that facts of people who have endured 
um, NCAA issues. And he, he, although I believe he should have, or his program should have, um, he hasn't. What's funny is like Rick Pitino is the guy that actually hasn't. <laughs> and yet Rick Pitino kind of has the most embarrassing issue, but it's not an NCAA issue. But it's not an NCAA issue. And so, um, you know, I, so who's well? Wait, let's think about who's next in the Hall of Fame discussion. Tom Izzo. Yeah, I don't think well, Izzo's he, had any. Well, and not anything major, but he was suspended for a game by the NCAA. Remember that a couple years ago? I actually don't. I don't either. He had to miss a game because after the NCAA changed rules and said you couldn't invite, you couldn't pay any like people connected to prospects to work at your elite camp. They had a guy who was connected to a prospect uh, working at their elite camp. He uh, says it was totally innocent and or um, accidental. Um, but he was held responsible for it. And so he did have to miss a game. Uh, Uh, Although let me be clear. That's not, I don't, I don't call that major. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. Uh, Bill Self would be next. Like, I don't, I don't know that he has either. Has he? I mean, he's going through the Shakti stuff right now. (laughs) He doesn't have, Uh he has, he has initial eligibility concerns basically every year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know that he's had actual NCAA, uh, issues. Um, you know, Bo Ryan's a good example of somebody who hasn't. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's why I say I never want to paint with – Mark Few hasn't. So yep. I never want to paint with a broad brush and say you have to cheat to be a Hall of Famer. I, I don't – like, did Bob Knight cheat? He's a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I don't believe that you necessarily have to. But I know that a lot of guys who are Hall of Famers have been caught cheating or at least running programs that have been caught cheating. And, uh, you know, that's uh, – that's a pretty wide, you know, it's just, it's something to consider. And if you're a young head coach, particularly in a power conference, it, to, for me, it would be a, a, a constant struggle. Um, although it probably wouldn't be much of a struggle. I'd just be out there buying players and trying to make $2 million a year. But I can understand why if you're a young coach in a power five conference, you wouldn't look at the Hall of Fame and go, well, that's how you get there. You know, Tarkanian. I know uh, there's, that certainly is, yes, there's, there's, a, and and plus like, it's easier for us to kind of talk about it, but when you really think about like the guys that are doing this, and when you're in the thick of it, and it's like the business is just so competitive, and yeah, they make a ton of money, but in, in, until you reach a certain level, like your job is on the line. If not on a year-to-year basis, then certainly on an every-other-year basis. And so that's why a lot of these guys, you know, when it yeah. when you look at a guy and you say, okay, that that dude, I'm sorry, but that dude is literally the difference between us going to the tournament and not, and me having a job and not. You can understand why that happens. One more quick thing to tag uh, this podcast with before we wrap up. SMU is going to appeal this, and they've got basically two weeks from when we're recording this podcast to do it. I they are definitely. I'd be shocked if they didn't do it. What we don't know is the timeline on it. It could right. be dragged out. Personally, this is my guess. I'm not seeing a situation where they appeal this and they successfully stave this off for a season. I think that they will miss this upcoming NCAA tournament regardless. Not guaranteeing it, but that's my forecast. Would you guys agree or, or disagree? I, I, I would just answer honestly and say I don't know. Like you know, But um, it seems yeah. – it, but if I were a betting man, I would bet that they're not in the 2016 NCAA tournament. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the way the timeline works is SMU has 15 days to appeal. I imagine they'll use all 15 days. Uh, Committee on Infractions has 30 days to respond, and then that's on them. Uh, I mean, they can respond as quickly or as uh, non. Well, it would be yeah. Uh, it would be the appeals committee. It's non quickly. It would yeah. It would be it's a different committee from uh-huh. the one that gave out the the, the punishment. It's yeah. the, the committee on appeal. So it's not the committee on infractions. Just to be accurate. Okay. And then SMU has 14 days for a rebuttal on top of that. And then I want to say there's like another 
like month long stretch after that even. And even uh, then we're only into the end of January. So that's why I yeah. don't expect it. I mean, maybe so, it will. There could be another stage to this that I'm unaware of. But yeah. uh, I know uh, SMU I, fans are holding hope on that. I'm just not certain it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, assuming that the NCAA holds up its own case, I would say that SMU uh, will not be in the NCAA. Yeah, I think that's the most likely scenario. Although, as always, we will uh, see. Remember, you can subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast over uh, on iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition so make sure you do that and uh, either way we were going to talk again uh, later on next week till then take care